everyone, and welcome to Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are following that white rabbit as far down the hole as we can go to see exactly where fiction and reality meet. That's right. Santa Claus has arrived a day early, and this time he's got red pills and blue pills, because today we're going to be discussing The Matrix Resurrections. We're going to start with a short little icebreaker conversation before doing a quick spoiler-free review of The Matrix Resurrections, and then we'll move into a a very in-depth spoiler section where we'll spend probably the majority of today's discussion talking about what all is this movie really about, (laughs) And, and spoiler alert... This movie is about a whole lot of stuff. And of course, for those of you who caught our trilogy retrospective that we did a couple of weeks ago, I'm so excited to be rejoined by, first up, uh, Good Trash Media, Burt Matrix superfan, Dalton Stewart. Dalton, welcome back to Cinematic. Always a pleasure to be here, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Rejoining us also is uh, the Cinetropolis contributor, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome back to Cinematic Schematic. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, and last, uh, but not least certainly is the the latest recruit to take the blue pill he's a little later he was he he was a little resistant at first but we finally got to him i'm so excited to welcome award-winning filmmaker here in oklahoma and he's a recurring guest on the cinematic schematic laron chapman laron welcome back hey thanks for having me when you ask me i call it's it's actually not a choice like the red pill blue pill situation (laughs) (laughs) is there really a choice laron right (laughs) uh but no but in all seriousness i'm so glad that uh each of you took some time right before the uh holiday to talk uh, the matrix Now, listeners, before we get into today's review, I did just want to quickly note that if you are listening to the show today and you enjoy the conversation, the most important thing you can do is supporting the show by subscribing or following the show and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, Uh, because uh, these ratings are really the way that you can help us get discovered by more listeners just like yourself. And by the way, recently launched, Spotify now does ratings, and they require you to actually listen to the episodes before you can leave a rating, see, because they actually track that stuff on like apple so you can now give us a rating on both apple and on spotify so that is the the best christmas gift you can give us here on the cinematic schematic and again i also want to remind you that if you are curious about our in-depth thoughts on the original matrix trilogy we recently recorded an episode that is available to our subscribers or at the cinematropolis.com there'll also be linked in the show notes for today's program where you can hear daniel and dalton and myself really just go to town on each film individually before kind of Uh, laying our thoughts on the entire trilogy um, before really kind of tipping our hand at what we hoped to see in this movie. And today we're kind of at the uh, end of that conversation. Did it live up to our expectations? Now, with that said, let's jump into our icebreaker conversation here, gentlemen. So the question I want to ask you is you wake up one day inexplicably as the lead video game developer or film studio head. Which one would you choose? Dalton Stewart, I'll start with you. I mean, Give me the keys to Warner Brothers, obviously, so I I can put the Matrix in a vault. Uh, Just like, well, leave it alone. It's fine now. It's good. We can we can we can go we can go back about our lives now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But also, I just I like Warner Brothers generally as a studio and find most of their creative decisions over the last uh, decade or so baffling. Uh, Yes. So that's 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 where uh, my heart goes. Mm. And that is going to tie really well into our conversation later in this uh, this specific podcast. Warner Brothers decisions, truly baffling. But Daniel, we're going to turn it to you. I want to get your take here. I mean, so so Dalton's already taken the, the one off the, the easy one off the table. Warner Brothers, what do you what do you got? Do I have to be a super successful like any so like Fine, a you can be so, an indie so, game developer? That's what I want to be. Okay. I just want to be a little indie darling, just a little quaint little thing. Just release a hyper light drifter. 
uh, and everyone loves it. And then that's it. And then I'll make Sudoku games for the rest of forever. No, I don't know. I don't, it's hard because I don't know if I could, uh, the, the, the pressure, I don't want to become desensitized to what I create. Oh, I assume that I've developed a terrible stimulant addiction because of my high stress job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just probably going with the, with the, yeah, you don't get word. to those places without, you know, no, no compromises, just, <laughs> just, a, just a few things in your body that you need. Um, yeah, but no, I, I would, uh, I would probably lean towards video games, but if I could just be a, a, again, an indie darling that really finds some mild success. That would that'd be quite all right. So you're going to be Team Cherry who developed Hollow Knight and then announced a sequel two years ago and then ghosted the internet? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Exactly. That's very <laughs> your style. All right. So I'm just going to say, no. So, so Daniel just wants to be more generally indie developer. I want to come in. I just want to be a little dollop. Little, little just hit the zeitgeist just like for a Dollop second of David, the- not dollop of Daisy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> all right. I already, well, wrote, your, I already wrote your jingle. <laughs> All right, guys, we're all quitting our day jobs, and we're going to help Daniel become an indie darling on the internet. There we go. Laurent mm-hmm. Chapman. Yeah, I think I'd start a little smaller. I'm, I'm really, I love what A24 is doing. So nice. I'm going to go that bold, innovative direction. They're not afraid to take risks. I like what they're doing with storytelling um, a lot more than some of the bigger studios. And so I want to start where the future is going, you know, instead of, you know, auto-correcting some of the things that already exist. So that's probably where I'd land up. Yeah, I know. A24, you, you took the, the word right out of my mouth because, uh, see, you, you get to fund the indie darlings and also have an incredible brand at Jump just because A24, I have friends who aren't even like film heads that'll be like, oh, A24 did it? I'll, I'll check it out. Which is the best thing when people who yeah. aren't like crazy film snobs say that. I'm like, that means A24 has just done a great job at really developing and fostering uh, independent and interesting films. Most of them good, all of them interesting. All of them interesting, most of them good. That's a great <laughs> <point>. <laughs> uh, Okay, so that's going to leave me with, gosh, uh, see, man, Laurent and Dalton took my chance. You know what? Uh, I'm just going to go. <laughs> you can just join us. Uh, just join our groups. I, yeah. I, I want to go pal around with Todd Howard, so I'll just go sit at Bethesda Studios and and I will use my my sway to get them to stop making an MMO that no one asked for and go make, I don't know, something smaller, maybe. I don't know. And you pick the one studio that I can't, like, immediately think of a terrible thing about. So that's something. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, yes. <laughs> God, yeah, seriously. I think these were all great options. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could wake up and be a, a head of a, a game studio or a film studio of your choice, which one would you pick? And you can uh, send in your answers to the cinematropolis at gmail.com. And uh, when you submit those, you have a chance to be heard on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Everyone, pull out your red pill. Because we are going to go into our review of The Matrix Resurrections. I'm going to go find me a mirror. Time to fly. If you want the truth, Neo, you're going to have to fly me. The only thing that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No. All right, so according to IMDb, The Matrix Resurrections is described as return to a world of two realities, one everyday life, the other what lies behind it. To find out if his reality is a construct to truly know himself, 
Mr. Thomas Anderson will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more. That's good. It's not actually spoilery, and it's got complete sentences, unlike the like the last three of these I've read, so that's good. Um, okay, and I just want to, again, quickly remind listeners, uh, since there has been so much secrecy and hype around this film, we are going to keep the spoiler-free discussion before diving into that really more in-depth, lengthy spoiler section. Laron, I want to turn to you first because you weren't on our Matrix Trilogy retrospective episode, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective and relationship with The Matrix. So could you quickly tell us a little bit about your relationship with the series as a whole? Yeah, I think so. That's 1999, correct? So I would have been nine or 10, depending on when it actually released. Um, But I think uh, I equate seeing The Matrix the first time was definitely like dad taking the kids to see dad's movie. Yeah. And no one being excited about it. And then all of us leaving, like, what did we just watch? You know, like super mind blown. But I kind of equate my experience with that with probably what a teenager seeing a naked person for the first time. It was just it was it's it's indelible. It stays there. You're not getting rid of it. But um. I I just knew that it was like, even then, you know, like without being a super sophisticated movie goer, you know, at that point, um, felt very much like I was seeing something that was going to change, you know, the course of action films and sci-fi films, you know, moving forward. So um, I love the first one. I can't even count how many times I've seen it. And even today, I rewatched it during the pandemic. Still holds up. I still think it's great. Obviously, some things are dated, but I think the ideas and the general world it created is just so unique and and innovative. I think we said uh, on our episode, it's like if you had, if if we had no knowledge of the Matrix and it got released, I would have believed it had come out yesterday. Right. Right. How about the sequels, though? More controversial. What do you, what do you think about the sequels? You know, I'm one of those people who actually just I really liked the sequels. A lot of people, a lot of people hate on the on um, revolutions, and I, it's obviously for me even still the least sophisticated of the bunch. You know, but I still enjoyed it. It had an emotional payoff for me that uh, maybe visually didn't have with, with the others. So so. Um, I um I I like them all to varying degrees, but um I don't. There's not a bad one amongst them for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, there's definitely a lot more to it. And um, I think uh, I think we spent a lot of time talking about for listeners who who haven't heard. You can go back and check out that episode was just how much those sequels are vastly different from the types of sequels we're getting today. So I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people have revisited them who maybe initially didn't like them and are kind of warming up and being like, oh, yeah, there's actually some pretty cool stuff here, you know. Uh, and uh, last question here. I mean, looking forward to resurrections what was like your initial thought when you heard hey lana wachowski's coming back good thing bad thing concerning my first thing my first thought is why do we need this um because i was actually satisfied with how they ended it you know so i thought if we're opening this back up they have to have a good reason to do it otherwise they're just going to blow up the entire you know you know what i already this is a perfect little thing for me or imperfect little thing but it is what it is it's the thing that i have already been at peace with what it is um, so bring, going back into that universe, you know, then I saw the trailer and was like, okay, I do need to see what, the, what they're doing with it, you know, and just to see like what, what new things they're coming up with. So, um, I went from hesitant to super anticipating it as the year went on. And here we are, we've all seen the movie at least one time. I think a couple of us have seen it more than one time already. Uh, so I'm going to open it up to the table to talk specifically about the Matrix Resurrections in a very spoiler-free way. Daniel Bocamper, I'll start with you. What did you think of the Matrix Resurrections? What did you like? What didn't you like? Overall, I liked it quite a bit. I think I place it approximate to the Matrix Reloaded for very different reasons. I I, I do enjoy the commentary. Again, we were speaking about 
Um, and if you haven't, I know you already have an episode on uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. This film, in a lot of ways, maybe critiques that uh, what that film is doing. Certainly an interesting uh, back-to-back uh, experience. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I wish I, I had that. But uh, as of right now, I don't. But, um, you know, I think that commentary on sequel culture and, and, and fan- fandom at large um, that it has and that it delivers is very important. I think the commercial commercialization of myth and also the the idea of confronting your own myth. And while the original Matrix, I think, does that pretty well to have it revisited and and done once more after you know one decides to that maybe they're they're through with this and i i, I don't know i i i really enjoy that that um again i guess for lack of a better term just that 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 idea of a reluctant prophet i think this maybe explores it in in better ways that makes the narrative a lot more interesting and i mean it feels another thing um abdul mateen incredible Morpheus. I actually, in a lot of ways, enjoy this rendition of Morpheus um, to some extent more than Lawrence Fishburne's, though they're both incredible um, personally. Um, and this does feel really like a true love letter to the franchise and um, in many ways. And and I think that's important. Um, in the same breath, what I don't like is, um, and we'll explore this a little bit more, but the for something that was so groundbreaking visually and as far as its choreography was concerned um you know that that's absolutely true this film probably does not deliver on that you know it's it's not revolutionary in that way um i will also say you know as much as it's poking fun at being a little more self-referential and and sort of criticizing sequels and and what they've become and what they are there are instances where this film definitely leans on its predecessors as a crutch and it becomes a little obvious and almost overbearing um at times um so it's hard to reconcile overall enjoyed it though i i do think i think it is it is it is worthy of existing in the canon i would appreciate if the canon just kind of stays here i i will i will take another animatrix i'll take like 80 more man honestly <laughs> but matrices animatrices but um, but you're talking about the feature films starring Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. For the big screen. Let's, let's yeah. put them, let's put those aside. Okay. All right. Well, thanks Daniel Bokeeper for sharing your thoughts there. Dalton Stewart. What'd you think of the matrix resurrections? I love the first hour of this movie. I think the first hour of this movie is like maybe my favorite thing about the matrix franchise. I, I think it's absolutely enthralling. Uh, it's breathtaking. I like a lot of the crazy ideas that, that are going on in that, for that first hour. Um, I, I love the visuals here. There's there's some just really amazing things that got put into my eyeballs in this movie. Without being too spoilery, there's a part where people explode into code. Uh, I can't stop thinking about it. That's just something that I've been thinking about for the last day. Uh, uh, Jessica Henwick as Bugs. Bugs is great. Huge fan. Yeah, I mean, big fan of Bugs. Love Jonathan Groff's performance in this. Uh, all the Sensate alumni that show up. As, as a Wachowski fan, yeah. yeah, that's that's a great for me. Um, again, staying away from spoilers, I think the premises and ideas behind the central conflict of this film are really interesting. Um, it, while, again, doing that sort of meta thing that we've already alluded to, um, and th- I think the trailers do a little bit, uh, but there, there are some sort of, I guess, self-referential, self-reflective ideas going on here. And the better ones, I think, are really well executed. Uh, at the same time, that does sort of, uh, Daniel, you, you've you already mentioned this, that there are some aspects of that te- 
track of storytelling that don't totally work for me. Right. Uh, but I like a lot about it. it. It definitely never fully puts a foot in Deadpool waters, but at least a toe crosses over into it. Oh. And uh, I, I don't necessarily need that in my life. Uh, but I do love that the sincerity is here, uh, that that sort of very earnest, heartfelt uh, tone that we associate with mostly later Wachowski stuff, I, I think is all over this movie in, in a way that I really appreciate. Uh, there's new rules to the world that I think are really compelling. Uh, we sort of uh, changed the game uh, when we go back to the world that, that we used to know. And I, I think that that's really just a fun way to keep the audience on their toes, you know, kind of keep us wondering what's going on, what are the new rules. And uh, certainly not the last thing that I love about this movie. What great costumes. Everybody's fits are just <laughs> absolutely outstanding. Jessica Henwick has the most badass costume. Even when I saw it in the trailers, I was like, God, she looks so cool. Yeah, a cool jacket with, with oh. big, uh, like, joggers. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Great the, stuff. And the sunglasses. The Those sunglasses are so cool. <laughs> uh, some things I didn't like. I think the plotting of the second half of this movie, especially, like, the last third of this movie, is really sweaty. It just, it, it begs you to go along for the ride, and I, I certainly am... am I tend to go along for the ride with most things because uh, I, I like liking movies. Uh, it's my preference. Uh, but but there's just some there's some sweatiness to it. There are some returned characters that I feel like are a little lackluster. Um, I, some of the returns I really enjoy um, and could have done with more of. Uh, some of them I'm, I'm not quite sure about, uh, despite me, especially Sati. I don't feel like that's that big of a spoiler. Um, Priyanka Chopra has been credited as that publicly now the return of sati feels a little underbaked as much as that was a character i was really excited to see return um that that doesn't quite go for me and i think i think neil patrick harris is kind of wrong here you think I, so? I don't i he doesn't work for me and there are moments where i'm, I'm I, I buy it and i'm going for it but there are a lot of moments in his performance that i just I do not resonate with me that there's a disconnect going on i don't know it's a full miscast but it feels like a miscalibrated he certainly at times feels like he's in a slightly different movie. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit askew of where it needs to be. Uh, and Daniel, you've already also alluded to this. I, th I think the fight choreography is kind of bad, which really bummed me out. But, like, like not just mediocre, like bad. Yeah, like kind of bad. Uh, yeah. That said, there are some action sequences and action photography that is still really outstanding. Uh, the chase sequences in this movie are really great yeah as as good as anything in the in the franchise for sure uh so yeah i mean lana still knows where the camera needs to be when people are running from each other or trying to get to somewhere like all that stuff's great and there there are moments of a fight choreography that made me kind of ooh, perk up a little bit it's not all a total yeah, wash definitely true I, I think i recall in the um our last discussion on the trilogy mm -hmm. we spoke about like the thing is this film is not only post Matrix One, it's post Inception, it's post John Wick, it's post yeah, post uh, John Wick, Kung Fu Hustle, it's post a lot of things. It does, <laughs> it does feel like Keanu is saving his uh, nearing sixty body for for the John Wick franchise. Chapter four, yeah, and you know, just pushed the twenty twenty three. By the way, well, he's got to grow his hair back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, there was another note I had here about the action. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, yeah, the the thing that's so groundbreaking at the time that, you know, the Matrix comes out is that everybody had to go to fight camp with uh, Yin Wu Ping, right? Like everybody yeah. had to go learn how to fight. And that definitely there there feels like we're cutting around people who don't know how to fight here. And that just sort of it, it's just, you know, it doesn't ruin anything for me, but it definitely 
make some of the magic not be there because those wide angles that those wide shots mm-hmm. that go on for seconds, minutes at a time and the, and the original just aren't here. Well, and, and it's, it's especially painful when easy example, and this one's in the trailer, so I don't feel bad noting it, but like the scene where Neo and Morpheus fight each other again in the simulation, mm-hmm. it doesn't help that it, they're riffing on it in this movie, mm-hmm. but it still plays like a more traditional action scene but the action in the first film is so in that specific sequence is so vastly superior to what we yeah. hear. That's one of the best fight scenes that's ever been put in a movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just period. Yep. So to riff on it and, and to not make it a priority for that fight scene to really land is, or, or at least I don't, is, 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 is a decision I don't understand. And there, there's decisions I don't get here and that's fine. But yeah, so overall I I'm, I'm leaning pretty strongly on it, but I have quibbles for sure. Yeah, no, I think uh, all great critiques, and um, I'm uh, really excited to hear and turn it to you. Laurent, what did you think of The Matrix? Uh, I echo a lot of the things that were already said, so I won't retread all of it, but I'll say that I I thought I liked Lana's bold approach to this story, this go-around. I like that she's critiquing, dismantling the mythos that was already established in the other and its predecessors um, in a way that carves out a new lane for maybe potential more ones to come. I'm not necessarily saying we need that, but at least it's introducing new ideas. What I did not expect when I went into this was that I was going to be seeing a movie that wasn't going to be retreading the same formula. I expected to see the same kind of movie just, you know, in the new age sort of vibe of it, you know, and, you know, when I was just really, it was really refreshing to see that the story moment for moment was not going where I expected it to go. And that was that was the most exciting part of it for me. And the same gripes for me, I would say the same thing. The, the thing that's lacking here that's so prevalent in the other ones is just that that um, the staging of these action sequences, these setups are just, they just don't have the same impact that the other ones did. And that is a big part of the appeal of the film franchise, you know, thankfully I like other aspects of filmmaking so that there was, there were other things to lean on here, but yeah. So I think generally speaking though, I was, I was, I was happy with it more happy than I anticipated than I thought I would be with it. Um, but because I was happier with so many aspects of it, I really wish certain moments of it were strong elements of it were stronger. But. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm going to echo essentially what everyone said at the table. I don't have a whole lot to add. One thing that I didn't, we haven't mentioned yet that uh, I was concerned about, and uh, I don't think the movie did a very good job with it was the reuse of clips from the original film. It's inconsistent use. So sometimes there's a very in narrative reason they're using it where you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see why we're, we're doing this, but they, they're f- frequently throughout the entire film, not just in the first act, they are very frequently showing you a shot from the, like one of the earlier films. And j- as a general rule of thumb, I don't like it when movies do that period. This film has sort of a creative angle, which we'll talk about in spoilers a little more where sometimes I'm like, okay, I see why this is here and it makes sense within the the world they built. But then later it feels like they literally just like, Oh, Neo sees something here. Embers, here's a clip again. And I'm like, mm, ah, it just feels lazy. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like as the audience, especially a lot of people who are seeing this are probably fans of the originals or at least have seen them. They're going to be smart enough to, or one would hope they're smart to make enough the to, connections yeah. of these mm-hmm. things that, yeah. Uh, and then also as much as I, I love, how ambitious this movie is. I question, and this is something we're going to talk about in spoilers. I'm going to beg the question too ambitious question mark, not because I actually think almost all of the ideas I love it's how well are some of these ideas implemented effectively and meaningfully. Cause like this movie has got ideas, you know, 
everywhere. You, you know, you'll, you'll like, there'll, there'll be like a seeming like a uh, reference to some world building. And you're like, well, that could be like a whole thing, you know? Um, but they don't really go into it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it wonders you're like, well, what if we had sort of trimmed it down and focused a little more? And this also includes uh, Dalton. You mentioned some characters, returning characters feeling more useful than others. There's a couple that I can think of. I was like, I literally am like, okay, why, why did they bring this character back for this movie? I think it's, I think it has a reason, but the reason's not really fully connecting with me in a meaningful way. So again, I, I kind of wonder if it might at times be a, l- a tad overindulgent. That said, just to kind of put a pen in it, this movie feels unlike any sequel that we've gotten in the last 20 years. I won't say unlike any sequel. I think I have a couple of examples that I, I'll, I'll reference, but it is certainly a truly unique thing that we we get this in 2021 where it's like every sequel is literally just rehashing stuff. I mean, gosh, Spider-Man, we're on the, if you count the animated Spider-Man, like what, there's like four main Spider-Man that we've experienced since 2002, not even 20 years. Uh, There's a constant, like going back to Wells, you know, so this is just something that this movie, like Laurent, like you said, it, it successfully carves out a lane that justified, mostly justified why this film exists. So all that to be said, I was pretty pleased. All right. So letter grades, let's, let's just go ahead and, and quickly just tell folks exactly if we're going to put a, a rating on it, how would we rate it? Uh, and Laurent, I'll start with you on this. Uh, I give it a solid B plus B plus. I will also give it a B plus. So you and I same page, Daniel Bokemper. Oh, B minus B minus. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dalton Stewart. Yeah, I'm right there at B, but could very easily see myself crawling up to B plus, even A minus territory. Um, there's the things that I like, I really, really like. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. Yep. All right. So uh, you, you've heard it, listeners from around the table. We really generally like this film, even if there are some qualms that we may have uh, with certain aspects of the film. Now for alternate uh, movie, television, novel, music, video game recommendations. So if you enjoy The Matrix Resurrections and you're looking for something that's got a similar vibe, what is something you should check out? And Dalton, I'll throw it back to you. The Wachowskis uh, already made a movie that, you know, this, this film deals a lot with how hard it is to do something creative, especially when you're not totally in control. And uh, the Wachowskis together made a movie uh, called Speed Racer about that very same thing, uh, which is a film that I like a lot. I know it's not unpopular uh, as as far as opinions go these days for people like Speed Racer. Uh, But one of the things that I like the most about it is is how much it feels like a a film about trying to make the matrix, how, how difficult it is as artists to, you know, give up your, your big dreams, your, these, these worlds that live in your head and, and give them up to a company that doesn't really care about you. Um, and I, that's one of the things I like most about speed racers is, is the way it, it not, not that just that it's subversive, but the way it deals with the, the emotional component uh, of that subversiveness, I think is really great. Um, this film deals with loops and love. And if that's something that appeals to you, you should definitely check out eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, uh, a movie that I like a lot. Uh, but, uh, that, that is also visually very striking and does a lot of really, really cool stuff with it. And, you know, again, it, it deals with interesting ideas about loops and about, you know, the people that we care about, but again, it's also full of really incredible uh, filmmaking as far as the visuals go. So definitely something to check out. And if the earnestness and sincerity of uh, Matrix 4 speaks to you, you should absolutely check up on Sense8, the Netflix series that the Wachowskis did uh, a couple of years ago. 
There's also a Christmas special, by the way. So a great. Well, you gotta watch the Christmas yeah, special. It can join season one and two. Exactly. <laughs> just in, you're just in time. You're, hopefully, you're listening to this on Christmas Eve. So, what are you doing? Do, go right. watch. <laughs> go watch. Go watch, the, go watch the Christmas special. <laughs> now, is that where they do the karaoke of "What's Up"? No, that's no, in the that's first not, season. That's not in the Christmas there's, special. There's there's a musical number in the Christmas special. There I think is. so. Yes. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. I wasn't sure. Daniel Bokemper, what else would you recommend to listeners who like the Matrix Resurrections? All of Dalton's recommendations were great, but I will second Sensei, especially um, for some more Wachowski's goodness. Um, in addition to that, I would encourage uh, everyone to read William Gibson's Neuromancer, at least one of the you know foundational texts for the Matrix itself. Um, and if you don't have time for Neuromancer, that's all right. He wrote a novella uh, before then called Blazing Chrome that kind of you know hits on the the high marks and is still roughly about the same thing about you know, breaking into this computer and having a very strong visual metaphor um, throughout for for what a, a digitized life can be. Um, at the same time, I would also recommend Summer Wars. The uh, and, Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Summer Wars. Yes. Right. I've from, seen that. That's from, a thing. From Amora Hosoda, which, by the way, there was a trailer mm-hmm. for his new film, Bell, that was yes. in front of the Matrix Resurrections. Which is not Summer Wars 2, but I'm okay with that. It looks like Summer it kinda, Wars 2. Yeah, like, I assume it's like universe adjacent, at least. Um, it has to be. Um, but no, Summer Wars, again, a, an incredible visual metaphor for you know, our digitized selves. Um, but also just a great, you know, it's about family, perhaps more so about family than any of the fast and furious films. <laughs> and I'll fight Vin Diesel, <laughs> but not very hard. He will kick my ass. Really. But uh, no summer wars for certain. Again, William Gibson's neuromancer or blazing Chrome. All great recommendations, Daniel. Pulling out the anime Rex. I appreciate that. LaRon Chapman, what else would you recommend for listeners? So I think like the obvious choices obviously would be things like Inception, V for Vendetta, The Fifth Element, uh, even maybe The Cell a long time ago has a lot of similarities going into the mind of a, of a serial killer um, and kind of navigating your way in that space. Um, but I think the film that I would actually recommend, because most people have probably seen those, um, is the Wachowski's first film Bound? Um, because I recently I watched it a couple of days ago because they had it at the Rodeo Cinema here in Oklahoma, and I um it's one of my top ten favorite movies. Period. Just and I just love the plot so much. Like anytime it's on, I'll watch it. Um, but I would say watching that as kind of a precursor into their kind of elaborate style of storytelling. It's not a science fiction film by any stretch, but um you can still see echoes of the kind of themes that they introduce into stories. Um, and so I think that's one that some people haven't seen and would be surprised that that movie predated the, the matrix. Cause it, it, it's strange to see how that transition, they went right into the commercialization of these kinds of ideas with the matrix. And then from there on, most of their stuff looks like that. And they're, they were great storytellers even before the matrix. So yeah, hundred percent agree. And, and I, I just want to stop and say that I really truthfully believe after they're long and dead, we will study the Wachowskis' oeuvre because it's just so fascinating. I mean, Dalton, you mentioned Speed Racer. We go from Bound to The Matrix, and then you get Speed Racer, and, and then you go up through their more like experimental stuff, which, I yes, The Matrix is experimental, especially <laughs> in anime, but I don't want to make it sound like that, but you're getting into like stuff like you get in Cloud Atlas, and you get Jupiter Ascending, where it's just really out there, Yeah, um, and then they bring it back with back to what made them a name or at least Lana back to what made him a name with the matrix. So, um, sounds yeah. great though. Yeah. I, I love that recommendation. What a, what a film. Mm-hmm. And it definitely those, that neo noir sort of visual palette that they use in the matrix is definitely there already. Yeah. Good movie. 
yes, uh, highly recommend that as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a little different direction here. I will just say if I'm going to recommend any of the Wachowski's films and at nauseum, I always recommend Claude Atlas. I think that's a terrific film. That's wildly ambitious. Some would argue a little too ambitious. Um, I, I don't think so, but it, it, if you're into more of the, the secular approach to spirituality, which we see in a lot of their films, I think that's probably one of their more spiritual films sort of tackling the humanism and like just kind of exploring what is it that really makes someone human and what connects us from generation to generation. Um, really love that film. Um, I would actually say though, outside of that, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare, I think has a lot in common with this movie. Yeah. Uh, a, a movie where a director returned to the franchise that made him a name and then made something very subversive and not at all what audiences wanted, but yet it's still uh, arguably a masterpiece. I'd also say along the same vein, uh, Cabin in the Woods, a horror film that simultaneously is riffing on what it is. It is both satire of horror films, but it's still a horror film that plays into the, the same tropes. And then lastly, uh, Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not a not a masterpiece, but it is really, really riffing on action movie tropes and, you know, things like our obsession with gun culture. And there's a lot there. Uh, it's a John McTiernan film, by the way, who, who did Die Hard. And I, I just it's, it's a film that I don't think it's an credit, frankly, um, for really exploring why are we obsessed with certain aspects of blockbuster cinema. A film that asks the question, what if Arnold did a Hamlet? Which is yes, a cool I question was to ask. About to say, <laughs> anything, go watch the Hamlet trailer from that film. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a great movie. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is going to conclude our spoiler-free discussion. So if you do not want to be spoiled on The Matrix's erections and we're going to spoil this thing, make sure to go ahead and tune out now. Candy? You already know if I'm going to take it? Wouldn't be much of an oracle if I didn't. But if you already know, how can I make a choice? Because you didn't come here to make the choice. You've already made it. You're here to try to understand why you made it. I thought you'd have figured that out by now. Spoilers ahoy! And I, I have several things I, I want to talk about. We, we could probably spend three hours talking about this film minimum, but l l I want to start with what appears to be the most prevalent thing in this film, at least in the first act, which Dalton, I agree with you, was the strongest part of the film, at least in my mind. Is this film a resurrection, a riff, or a reboot? So the, the film really does come out the gate pretty in your face with a meta commentary regarding sequels and reboot culture. So I just want to get the, the full tables take on the film's references to past films. Uh, does that work? Does it not work? Dalton, I'll start with you. I think it works a lot better here than it does in something like the force awakens. It, you know, it, it definitely does sequences or set pieces that have been done in the, in the series before, but the, the way in which it finds to, to actually make that part of the narrative, make that part of the emotional stakes of what's going on, I, I think is really effective. I it definitely lauded, did some homework, took notes uh, on, on what's been going on and, and tried to work within that milieu while, while bringing something new and different to it. Um, I, I will say that I don't, I don't necessarily, I, li I like that we end on a, and they all lived awesomely ever after. Yes. I, I love it. Really, Big it, fan, but it, the huge, huge turn away from the, 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 the bittersweet tragic ending that we got in the third film. Well, it's, it's very similar to the, the ending of the first matrix. It is a sure you could look for more here if you want to, but maybe it can just live in your imagination of what more of this would look like because it, it does end on basically the same ending as the first matrix. Uh, 
while discounting, not necessarily discounting the sequels, uh, but while, again, not doing that, that same bittersweet sort of tragedy that we end on. At the same time, the fact that we start on a set piece that is from the first movie and end on a image that's basically pulled from the first movie did kind of leave a bitter taste in my mouth and made me feel like, oh man, did we, did we really need to go that hard on the, the retread? But I, again, this film never feels like a retread to me. Uh, and, and there's an and yet to it though, right? Because that, that sort of does uh, make me wonder just what else could have been. Uh, I, overall though, I, I think the elements, the, the choices to, to bring the things that we've already seen into the picture are usually done really well. The one in particular sequence is uh, the set and setting scene is what I've been thinking of it as where they, they have to give Neo the red pill again and to, to help ease him into it. They're showing him the first time he took the red pill, which I think is a really fun sequence uh, that uses uh, the sort of a visual language that we're familiar with from the first film and then finds a way to make it look entirely new and feel entirely different. No, I, I'm glad you mentioned that scene in particular because um, in, in my review, I, I mentioned that I, the, the use of clips. So I actually thought the use of clips in this scene worked really well. The mm-hmm. idea where they are literally projecting these memories or whatever onto screens as a way to visually stimulate Neo. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. What mm-hmm. I didn't like though is later in the film when they would just, it, it would be like right in the middle of a normal scene. He sees something familiar and it's not like it's projected. No one's showing him this thing. The movie as a whole just cuts to it. There's moments where it plays as memory that I like, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. The, there's one in particular where he remembers Trinity dying that is, I think is really effective. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's some moments that I don't think that that totally works. That's one of the stronger ones for sure. Yeah. Anything with Trinity tends to be the, the stronger notion, but like the, some of the Smith cut, like the cuts to Smith and stuff. That was we, a surprising one to me yeah I, I i don't know i like jonathan groff's performance so much that i didn't mind it but yeah that one's sort of surprising mm-hmm. yeah um but that for example but i think that is a great sequence though um and that you know i, I liked the line that new morpheus drops uh, you know nothing comforts anxiety like like a little bit of nostalgia so it's it's simultaneously riffing on our obsession with nostalgia but also but yeah don't you like it it's comfortable yeah, well he's got the uh, at last <laughs> which is so good and he goes was a callback too much or whatever the line is yeah i love that moment very funny uh no i i agree um it, it just random note and, and this is for the table and i'll, I'll circle back around to you Laurent, next on this question but does this movie does this movie actively think like i feel like it really likes to make fun of morpheus a lot because you have the new character, you have the new actor who is literally feels like he's satiring the character. And then the one dramatic scene we get referencing uh, Morpheus is when Niobe's like, yeah, he was so obsessed with the prophecy. He got a bunch of people killed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, I don't think Lana, I don't feel like Lana. I can't speak, I don't speak for a little bit. I don't think she actually feels that highly about Morpheus at the end of the day. I don't know. Do you guys, random, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think it, I think it's definitely important to... I guess when the prophecy is supposedly real, zealotism seems like the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, you're still a zealot. And that has a lot of um, harsh and often violent and dangerous implications to it. And I'm glad that the film at least carries those with it to some extent. That being said, both Morpheuses to me at least are still awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't want to take away from that. But um, I do do like that they they approach some of the, you know, the things that aren't so great about the character. So I don't know. I think they do that tactfully. Again, uh, it's nice to revisit it with with a new lens. After distancing ourselves from this character for almost 20 years, hmm, maybe he was 
maybe he was uh, on a little too much of a pedestal. So let's, let's really address that. Um, but Lamar, I want to bring it back to you. I mean, I mean, like what was your take on this film's references to the past films? Did it work pretty well for you? It worked pretty well for me. I, I think that I like the callbacks. Um, I think, um, some of them, not all of them, but I felt like, um, it was more of the filmmakers acknowledging to the audience that, Hey, you know, we understand we're in a different landscape. We understand it's been 18 years since the last film and we are cognizant of the changes and in, in very much commenting on it in that way um, so that you know that we're not patronizing or, you know, or that we're just, again, making a warmed over retread sequel. Like we do want to make a very unique and original movie. So um, I took it as that's what that was about, you know, without acknowledging it, I felt like we would have been feeling that way. Like we get it. We understand this already, you know, like, so commenting on satirizing it in that way, at least left them off the hook in that regard. So, right. At least acknowledging to fans to some degree, Hey, we understand why you're here. Right. Yeah. You know, with, with, yeah. Versus just totally ignoring a hundred percent. And we, under, and we understand your apprehension about us making this movie period. Cause mm-hmm. I kind of, I read a review on that said that, um, that the matrix resurrections has an existential crisis of being a sequel to the matrix trilogy. Yes. <laughs> they have to acknowledge it because they're like, why do we need this? You have to, you have to explain it to us, you know? Um, and they did that, I think in a clever way that wasn't on the nose, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Well, Daniel, what was your take on the use of the references of the past films? Yeah. And, uh, to parlay off of Lauren a bit, I think on the high notes and the overt level, those, the, the reference ultimately to the last films, A, was kind of necessary. There's no way around it. You can't make a fourth Matrix film and not acknowledge them. And I think they did so in a way that was both creative and very telling and timely. It's just when you start to lean into that, like it's when it became a little less overt and then the like suddenly the the, the like moments of the narrative. And, and I'm going to um, probably upset Dalton a little bit <laughs> with what I'm about to say. I don't think... This film needed an Agent Smith. Oh, in, you're in fine. Capacity. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. we can disagree. That's I'm okay. upset. You didn't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> somebody. Somebody. No. no. I, I. I don't. Listen, I, Daniel. Jonathan Groff in this movie at all costs. It doesn't good. matter why. Well, no, and I will say, like, the, it's not to say that the performance isn't wrong, and that, and that's the thing is when the film is there, that like you know if something I didn't like in the film, I'm just going to accept it. It was still done well enough for, for, for what it is for it existing. It just, I don't know if it makes entirely sense with the the story they were trying to tell. Um, and that's the thing. It just kind of gets a little too caught up. I mean, I love the sequence when, um, uh, Neo is meeting with the analyst and he kind of resolves to just like, Oh, I'm going to blue pill it hard. And then like actually start to kind of make the, the, the video game matrix, the matrix four within the matrix four. Um, and it has that little montage of him just going kind of hard and just going through ah, the slog. That montage is so good. It I is. It. And when the woman just lays that flat, like this, like <laughs> pamphlet of Matrix 4. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. And you can feel like your stomach yeah, kind of Chris, like oh Christina Ricci with the market research that, you know, they <laughs> yes. had to read yeah. to make this movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And like it, it, that works. And I, I, that did resonate with me quite a bit. And it's sometimes it's like, again, that, that thing about having to approach your own myth and then try and like milk something more out of it when you've clearly moved on and you don't want to have anything to do with it, but you're immersed in it again. That's a powerful statement. It's just, yeah. When they, and then when they do things like, Again, the 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 fight see the the initial fight sequence between um or I guess the sparring match between Morpheus and and Neo in the first film groundbreaking in this film it like tries to 
poke a little fun at it and then be an homage to some extent, but then at the same time it adopts all of the like, and we'll, we'll dig in this a little bit more when we talk about why maybe the action didn't work in this film so much, or at least the fight choreography, but, but it just, that's when it starts to feel a little, a little saturated, a little like it's not confident. And I felt like there were maybe ideas it could explore quite a bit more, but instead it, it tried to stay a little bit closer to that. Well, I don't know if not to alienate an audience or, I don't entirely know why it maybe did that, but I actually would, would be on the side that I don't think this film ultimately took enough risks. Um, I think it kind of went back. Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of went back to something. And again, that's, and it's hard to criticize it in that way because I like the self referential stuff in a lot of ways. And I think it does it well. It's just once again, past the first hours, I think when it really starts to sour me a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to what Dalton said, the movie begins with literally a shot by shot recreation of the opening of matrix 1999 and then ends with a very, and when yeah, shots more, are subverted, it feels deliberate, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it is in the opening. It's good. Like yeah. it, it feels very straight. I will say at first I started to have my reservations, but it, it was strategic and it worked well. I love that that first act of that film. Um, but yeah, by the time we do get into the end, and and no Dragula. If you're going to be nostalgic, <laughs> at least bring back Dragula. No, just kidding. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think, though, to your point, I, I think it, it, it does a lot. It says a lot. It puts a lot out there. But at the end of the day, it still is following pretty closely a template pretty close to the first film. Not Not one for one, but it's hitting a lot of the same beats throughout. Without with with a little more of the talky talky from the sequels that I personally loved, and a lot less of the cool action sequences that people really enjoyed. So it's man, it's tough. I hadn't thought about that. Does this movie take enough risks, Daniel? That's good. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Well, in some ways it does, and in some ways it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think that's gonna, really going to segue uh, a great great segue right into sort of my next question here, which was how effective do we think this film really is at riffing on the studio obsession with sequels and reboots and, and fan cultures, uh, and the exact so so once we meet Neo and he meets his business partner Smith, the exact line is Warner Brothers has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy with or without us, and Neo says I thought they couldn't do that, and he and Smith comes back and says oh they can and they could and they they made it clear that they'll kill our contract if we don't cooperate and i i really felt like i don't know all i don't know enough of the details to say definitively but just knowing how there was another matrix project in development right before this one lana wachowski stepped in and decided to make this film uh it really makes me wonder if one if there was a similar tension there between you know wachowski and warner brothers uh because this movie definitely feels like they had, they had a gun to their head to make this movie. I want to dig into that, though. Do we think it does enough and say anything meaningful for it? I mean, I'll just I'd start off here. I mean, like the the entire montage that you already referenced there, Daniel, with the, the, the white rabbit where marketers are literally sitting around talking about what made the uh, original Matrix great. Saying the same lines over and mm-hmm. over again. You know yeah. what we need? Bullet time, which we'll circle back to that later. But you, you know what I mean? Like, that's almost the thesis of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what? what is it about the Matrix that we love? And I, I don't know. I've literally been in meetings, not for major franchise IPs, but like marketing meetings where it's literally a bunch of people sitting around trying to speculate. And they're like, well, here's what this data says. And this is what this focus group says. So this obviously should be what we do. And at the end of the day, you're like, what? Does anyone really care about this thing we're making anymore? But yet the studio gods demand you make it. You yeah. Know? Um, that's one of the things if, if I need to jump in on the question, I, it's one of the things, the choices I do like is the, the, the matrix itself, the digital construct in, in the 
franchise, uh, the, the simulated world, has become the media algorithm, right? And I think that's, it is weird to, to also have the same plot that Space Jam 2 has, where <laughs> an algorithm's the bad guy. It rhythm, I missed him, where was it? It was Neil Patrick Harris, I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> while, while it is sort of a weird serendipity of, of movie making, it's a cool idea, right, that, that the Matrix is now powered by how mad we can make people like again it is just sort of uh the the screenwriters dealing with the modern media and and social media landscape that that we deal with i think that stuff's like really really interesting yeah and i mean uh, the thing i find compelling just trying to think and again just trying to get inside lana wachowski's head uh you know, about like making this film in the first place. If you think back to the, when the original matrix was made, that was 1999. I know it's kind of like hard. It, it's weird when you think back, but our tour directors, if you look back, actually had immense power at that time uh, that they certainly do not have today. Um, and what I mean is we have uh, Lord of the Rings, huge hit, mega blockbuster. You know what? Peter Jackson film where he made what he wanted to make pirates, of the Caribbean, not like saying it's a perfect movie, but you know what? That's a Gore Verbinski film through and through. The sequels, I would argue, are Gore Verbinski films through and through. Not perfect, but like this director has a very specific vision he's trying to communicate. I'd even argue Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. Very auteur-driven. If you go back and watch those films, you're like, oh, this is a movie made by this director. He made these trilogies. And I would say the Wachowskis are among that with The Matrix. And what I find compelling is that in the same way, like the... Like these franchises have now become the matrix. They are the form of control. What was once original and groundbreaking has been co-opted by larger forces and mass produced and, and forced upon people in such a way that people are constantly going back to the well. And the matrix is now part of that. And this film does feel aware. And there is sort of a sadness to this film that that is aware that the matrix has become, you know, it, it's gone from an a metaphor for our alienation from modern society to being part of that alienation, right? It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Neil Patrick Harris says, literally says in the movie, when he references the bullet timeline that we see uh, during the montage, he says, you want to know what you need? Bullet time. Using the power that defines you to control you. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. That is. What a point. What, what, a, what, a, what a finger to the face. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, like, so uh, so I, I just found that like it, this movie, despite being really funny and obviously incorporating a lot of the elements that are popular people like, I feel like at least in terms of spirit, like directed at like franchise filmmaking in the state of Hollywood is extremely pointed in saying we are now in this like machine that's just consuming everything that we once had sort of thing, you know, and there's not like a lot, it's, there's not really a lot of room for original originality to break free. Laurent, I want to turn to you. I mean, like, what, did you think that this, um, sort of criticism, did this work pretty well for you in the film? I think so. And I also think like in retrospect, it was also kind of a caution. I think again, the filmmakers like, you know, in laced language, you know, saying, Hey, you know, what you're getting ready to see, you know, is not probably going to meet, the expectation that you have going into this. Um, and it's like their way of communicating that to us without saying as much, you know, because we're watching it and we're seeing the deconstruction of what we once knew right in front of us. And every step of the way, there's something else happening. It's like, okay, if we have to make this movie, we're going to make it our way. And we're going to find a creative way to still play into the fan service to a, to a degree, but still make a different film or a new film at least, you know? So, um, I think the commentary on all of that initially just adds to, again, to where we are now. We're more cognizant of these things than we were in 1999. 
you know, this is, you know, we're, we're having conversations about why movies are made, period. Back then, these are the, these were, these intellectual properties were just things that were being created out of, and they were creating the narrative for future movies and how they're going to be made. So, um, and now where movies now are so self-referential that, you know, we're, we're even commenting on that, that machine, you know, that has, that has led us to where we are now. Mm-hmm. So I, another thing that makes me think about is, uh, there's been a meme floating around with the release of the new Spider-Man. It said 2007 image of Halo three and Spider-Man three, 2021 Halo infinite Spider-Man no way home. And yeah, honestly, you could probably put the matrix in there too. It's not t- 2007, but it's very similar. You know, it's just crazy when you think about yeah. how we're still consuming sort of like the same stories and same narratives. Yeah. Daniel, uh, what, what did you think of the, the commentary of this film? Yeah, I, it makes me curious if we're already making films that are this cognizant of what, you know, these sequels and these franchises have ultimately become and not just the Matrix, but all the ones that um, both you and LeRon mentioned. When is that bubble going to pop? And that's that's what I was thinking. I'm sure. like, because you can't really do this again. I hope it's know? the Matrix 4. I hope this movie loses all the money in the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, this is it. I, I hope it's, it's too a- ambitious for people to, to be able to tolerate it. <laughs> I mean, un- unfortunately, uh, Caleb and I were talking about this earlier. It may, uh, I don't want to say fail pretty hard, but like. I can't sp- imagine this movie's going to make much money. No, no. Spider-Man does not. Spider-Man oh. ha- consumes all. Uh, oh. it's, yeah. it's, it's not great. This, it's not is, looking this great. is a movie for people without children. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, also, here's know. another question. I mean, this is, I don't want to get too off track, but like a gen, a, an honest question I've been asking myself and, and, and other folks is, we appreciate the Matrix, like as millennials who don't have children, you know? Yeah, and Gen Xers, I'm sure, still do, right? Yeah, I'm sure it deeply extent, yeah. speaks to them still. Mm-hmm. I'm, there's plenty of Gen Xers who don't have children, and even the ones that do, I'm, I'm sure, you know. That what about Gen Z, though? Next Gen. Do you yeah. think they care about this franchise at all? I am so curious, mate. Well, like, so much of the first movie is about corporate job anxiety, right? And those jobs aren't, like, really available to a lot of people who are trying to get into the workforce. So I, I am curious, like, what this franchise means to the generations I'm, coming up. I'm not... I'm not hopeful about that because I feel like um, I've had too many conversations with Gen Zers about certain films like this that were so groundbreaking. And because so many, they see it for the first time now, they don't get the appeal of it. And it's like, you know, I said, well, because so many movies after that, you know, mimic that style that they've created this this vibe where so many movies are like oh that's just like this movie this been like yeah but the matrix was way before that movie you know like and but they don't care it's like it's like that's that's what they were introduced to first so going backwards and seeing something like the origin of it is something we appreciate because we were there but they don't seem to have the same um at least emotional connection to it um so i don't know i don't know i don't know if they are if they're going to turn out for this one um in much it's they're really banking on that 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 core group that saw this and are in that in that little space that got to experience it for the first time. So, so. yeah, and that's the thing. I just don't feel like uh, when you compare it to other superheroes, for example, that's cross generational, cross up to like what four generations, five generations. You know, I, I don't think there's a future for Matrix sequels. At least the the one thing I want to add is that, and and we've all sort of um, emphasize this, but it it walks such a fine tightrope when you want to both criticize what you are and then also lean in. To what you are, you're you're the thing you're criticizing. Yeah, exactly. It's a tight, and so it's, a tight be, rope. it's hard. Yeah, it's a tight. It almost makes me want to add uh, "man on a wire" to my <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> um, the, tangentially, at least. But like it, yeah. And that, and it's hard. And the film doesn't always do that. 
Bullet time is the enemy, Daniel. Bullet time is the enemy. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I want to circle back here and just talk a little. Daniel, you already you already mentioned Jonathan Groff. I, I do want to talk a little bit about how well this film implements legacy characters, whether it's bringing back old ones like Niobe and the Merovingian, um, or recasting them entirely with Jonathan Groff and uh, bringing in Yahya Abdul Mateen II. Like, how well did that work? I'll, I'll start with Morpheus just in general. I already mentioned I think he was kind of a spoof. Did, did his the portrayal here work for you guys? He's made of beads. <laughs> it's so cool. I yeah, dude. That. Yeah. What's the oh, name? Yeah. Okay, complete aside, but what's the, the name of that thing? Like those have you seen those like toys where it's got yeah. like a bunch of names? Where it imprints your hand. What are those That's called? what he looked like. That's what yeah. I thought of the whole time yeah. too. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't even know what those are. This but. movie's full of little guys. We haven't got to tell because we were in spoiler free territory. is my best friend. Sabay <laughs> bang. Uh, what's what's the, the little one? The Luxe? little one that they fist bump in the movie? Yeah. Little, yeah. Bo- little, yeah. little boy. The little Babu Frick. I guarantee you they had to have a meeting about how toyetic the robots were. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. And I'm sure there are Warner Brothers executives who are like, could we could we sell it? <laughs> uh, but I, I think, I don't know. I think they're well implemented. I, I assumed Smith was the one you were talking about. Like, do we need Smith back? And I, I like, it, it almost feels too devoted to the canon for the for them to be like, well, if Neo's back, Smith has to be back. Right. Those are the yeah. rules. <laughs> and that's the thing. But I'm like, Smith is, I just felt like that was such a complete... Yeah, it's an interesting choice. It, I almost wish the movie was about Smith and Morpheus. I, I, I almost wish that it was about these other characters. Because there's a lot of interesting stuff being hinted at about how they've evolved. Like, th- these are two sentient programs, uh, both, that have, that have become different than what they were initially designed to be. Yeah, well, and, and the idea that they're still tied together even when they've been re-uploaded because, uh, you know, again, he's back to, oh, I have to kill uh, Neo because he's become my... Like, I'm, I'm now tied to this reality because Neo is alive. Um, I, I kind of feel like, to your point, though, I think they either need... I, I would have preferred had they leaned either more into it or cut him out entirely because yeah. he feels like he's in there just enough for you to be like, ooh, potential, cool ideas that they don't end up doing anything with. Yeah, he 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 helps them, and that's kind of a... It's a fun twist that he ends up being an ally, and then he just pieces out. Says, yeah. I'm out of the movie. <laughs> Bye. And, and it, well, yeah. And it's cool. And it leans in. I mean, there is that sequence where they have that exchange and, and Smith mentions, you know, Smith and Anderson, yin and yang or what, whatever the exact line is, but you know, the two most common surnames in, in the U S and like, it feels appropriate, but like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But like Smith and Morpheus, those that's the like well, or, or real the dichotomy I bugs like. and her crew, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of the new characters are interesting and I want to know more about. Yeah. Almost too much now. Well, that's the thing. The movie has a lot, so many good things in it. I'm like, I, 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 I can't, I could for choice. I couldn't yeah. say Lana Wachowski, please make another one. But there, there's so many ideas. There's all, it's like the more ideas in the Animatrix. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Animatrix. I can understand from a, the standpoint, like you said, like that dichotomy, they have to have Smith in the film, but I'm with you. I enjoyed the performance. I did. I don't think that um, anything was wrong there. I just felt like, the stakes are no longer um, in his ballpark. You know, the story, the stakes in the story don't surround him anymore. So he does feel extraneous to it. He's just in orbit the whole time, says a few things, but he's not driving the conflict. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's the only thing that I kept feeling like waiting for his intent. So when the little twist came that, oh, okay, he's helping them. Like, okay, that's like a, a little nugget of a reason why he should be here. But otherwise, yeah, I just, it, it I just, I think if they wanted to use him, they should have implemented him in a different way. And again, the idea is there. I mean, I love the idea that he's got this new body. And and again, if you look at the agencies, brand new piercing blue eyes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, if you think about the the agents in the original film, they're the, the ones who are controlling the people. They're the ones who are making sure they run smoothly. And in this updated version, he's a tech bro. And I was like, this it's a cool idea. Like there's a lot yeah. that they could do with it, but they absolutely didn't do anything with, you know, but um, you know, it's, it's there. And all of Morpheus's suits, let's just, oh, that's what so, I'm oh, so the color. Nice. I was like, he never wore pink or what was it? I don't know if it was good. Bright color. orange. Bright orange. orange. Yeah. yeah. It was like, okay, I'm here for it. A Halloween costume for next year. Maybe. I just want to explain really quickly because I think a lot of people are confused. Morpheus is a program created by Neo in the modal that is a compilation of both how Neo remembers Morpheus and Smith combined into one program that then goes rogue and is removed from the matrix. But he's not Morpheus in any capacity. Yeah. yeah. He's not the Morpheus that we know. Yeah. No. Yeah. And he's like, and he's not even like a copy of the Morpheus we know. He's like a, a version of him that Neo remembers. That's got other. He's elements. like a composite. Yeah. 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 He's still, they still build him up as the, and there's almost a scene that like, like, in a way like literally conveys this is he is still a kind of that binding agent between Morpheus and Trinity. And I still think they retain that to some extent. I remember the sequence where there's the two pods and he kind of floats over and it's like, again, that's always how I've somewhat considered Morpheus in a lot of ways Um, is a, is, is a bit of a necessary vehicle to this love story that's at the heart of these films. And I do think he still retains that at least, but yes, the character itself wildly different, but um, I don't know, enhanced in some ways too. I don't know. I really like this betrayal of him. I mean, that's uh, yeah. I, I like both performances a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like they both really do a good job of paying homage to the previous performances while doing totally their own. Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think again, it's a clever way to remix, so to speak, a, a character that people like. And there's also uh, just quickly, we've got Niobe shows back up. One of the OGs, great old lady makeup, yeah, great right. mummering and puttering performance. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was nervous about that. Cause from the trailers, I was like, yeah, we mm-hmm. kind of, it looked a little like too hammered, too hand, you know, too hokey, but then it was, it was nuanced surprisingly, yeah. you know, she didn't overplay it. It was, it was, it felt, it felt authentic. Very appropriate. Know? Yeah. Jada does just enough of an elderly person walk. It's just, just a little bit. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I was all there for it. Daniel, any other thoughts on these uh, legacy characters or yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think we said, I think the, the, the ones that at least mattered are there. I, I will say, and, and again, we'll, we'll dig into it a bit more. Um, I do think of, you know, the primary character, Neo, I actually think I could have done a little bit less of him and more of a focus on, again, some of these other characters, specifically Trinity. Okay, so very important question on this specific topic, and we'll move on to uh, another one. But the million dollar question is, does this movie do enough to justify its own existence? I mean, we, we've already obviously like a lot about it. And I think, Laurent, you mentioned even your review, like, why do I need this film? I think all of us have asked that question. So I, let's answer it, at least for from our perspectives. Does this movie need to exist and why? Dalton, I'll start with you. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's a tough question, right? Uh, David Ehrlich over at IndieWire called it uh, the most ambitious legacy sequel since uh, The Last Jedi. And I think that's definitely accurate as far as films that are retreads of something that's come before that do try to bring something new to their universe. Um, you know, at the end of the day, fans can either like it or not like it, but it's a Warner Brothers intellectual property and they can do with it whatever they want. Uh, they don't have to justify it to anybody because they've got that big fat bankroll to make whatever dumb movie they want to make. Uh, I sure am glad Lana came back and, uh, you know, I'm glad it's, I hate that it came from a personal tragedy. I, I know we talked about last time that, you know, her signing on to this movie had a lot to do with losing her parents back to back. Um, 
So I, it's it sucks that it's coming from that that place of grief, but I'm glad that it, it's a story that still ended up coming from a personal place, right? It's it, it still became about a character, a creator revisiting something that meant a lot to them. Uh, so I think it justifies its existence from that regard in, in that it feels personal. It feels lived uh, as much as something like this can. I don't think I can second what Dalton's saying enough and that it, it, you, you really can't look at this film without looking at it, at least autobiographically. I mean, you could, but I think it, it it's almost necessary um, to consider Lana Wachowski in this film. And also at the end of the day, a, this film was probably going to just get made eventually yeah. regardless. Um, and so I'm at least glad that she got to do it. And I'm, I hope. Imagine if JJ Abrams got it. Oh, or somewhat, you know what I'm saying? No. Like it could be worse. It could be worse. You know, like. uh, give me that red pill right now. <laughs> I need to back out. Um, but uh, I, uh, what I think I have to say is this, is if, if this film in, in at least even a small way allowed Lana Wachowski to heal, a little bit. And I know like she started and then it like immediate, you know, pandemic. And then that almost derailed it, um, in of itself. But, but I am glad, um, that, um, she was able to finish it. And if it allowed her to heal, um, to some extent and allowed some of us to heal. And, you know, in some ways I do think, I mean, we all talk about all of these sequels and all of this shit and all this stuff getting shoved down her throat and how much episode nine really, really sucked uh star wars i mean and um <laughs> yeah it, it, it's kind of nice to have a film that doesn't treat us like idiots in that way um it and, doesn't feel like a, a force of pure corporate studio yeah and demand if, exactly and if well and if this had to be a, a big bankrolled warner brothers thing at least they allowed lana to I tell what i feel like is the story she wanted to tell and again as long as it served to, as a remedy to some extent um, for her and for anyone else, which I think Sense8 does in a lot of ways, then yeah, it's justified. All right. Laurent Chapman, I'll pass it to you. Man, um, I can't say it any more eloquent than that. Um, but yes, I think it does. I think it does. I am. Um, do we need it? It's one of those things I, maybe we don't need it, but I'm, I'm fine with having it, you know, and, and at least if we have to have it, it was, it was done with some integrity, you know? And so, with that being said, I was, you know, I, I walked away from it and it was like, you know, I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by it. So that's an adjective I haven't heard yet used to describe this film integrity. And I think it's a great one. Yeah. I, I think that that really speaks to, uh, the feeling of love that permeates this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd, I'd add here, I mean, I think I'm, I'm with everyone at the table. I, I do think it works if you choose to, it works both as a take it or leave it sort of epilogue almost. So if you don't like it, you know, just embrace don't. it from your mind or just, yeah, just like I do Halloween resurrection <laughs> <laughs> Halloween kills or <laughs> like, I don't think it's essential. I think the trilogy still stands on its own, but if you want to find out, okay, well, what, what, what was the story like? Did it continue? I think this is perfectly serviceable. And I think people who really appreciate what the Wachowskis are about, um, are going to find a lot to really, really love, uh, in it. So, uh, and lastly, I would say, as you have pointed out, this movie doesn't need to justify its existence to anyone. Lana Wachowski got to make a highly personal film that was her film very clearly, and audiences who don't like it can just deal with it. <laughs> Dalton, you mentioned love. So let's talk about this as a love story because uh, a part of, I think, what um, 
Lana Wachowski has been talking about in a lot of interviews is how after the, the tragic death of her parents, uh, she found a lot of comfort in finding these two characters who meant a lot to them. And it, it really does. It, you know, we've talked a lot about like the meta nature, but underneath all of it, if you strip all that away, it really is a love story about Neo experiencing an awakening and trying desperately to find his way back to the woman who woke him up the first time. I want to just really dive into that. Do you think that this film did a great job explaining the sort of titular uh, resurrection? And uh, Lauren, I'll actually start with you on this one. I think that's the strongest component of the entire film. And I think that what Lana understood about the other films, like if, again, going against some of the stylistic choices that we've mentioned, how we feel about that, but I think that what she did know, what she did extract from the other three films is that the core of it has always been this this love dynamic this uh, between Neo and Trinity. Um, and that's what keeps bringing us back, even in certain flaws throughout the franchise. We come back for those characters. You know, we come back for them. And I think that um, being cognizant of that, she rooted this story around that and then created another universe around it. And I think that... Um, I think it works really well because it's the thing, it's kind of the glue that kind of connects everything because like, even if you disagree with all of the bold new changes that are in here, the one thing that is consistent is the the, the, the dynamic between Neo and Trinity. And so I think that it's, it's, it's absolutely important and I think it works really well. Yeah. I mean, the, the first movie ends with goth princess charming, waking up her sleeping beauty with a kiss. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a love story. Love's oh, yeah. magic in this world. And if you can't get on that then it's not for you. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the thing. At the end of the day, like the the one powers are all just a it's love. It's the source of good, which I mean becomes the in text rationale for like this new upload of the Matrix. Right? Is their love is so powerful that it is they're drawing power for the machine city through them, which is uh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. And I do think that's a nice thematic follow-up to the trilogy because it, it, it wasn't always obvious that the original trilogy was a love story in a lot of ways. By the time you get to, as we talked about in our trilogy retrospective. By the time you get to Revolutions, you're like, oh, this is really a love story about Trinity and Neo, because you think about it, Trinity who w- wakes up Neo in the first film, saves his life. He does the same for her in the second film. In the third film, they both that tragically die. So this is just a, a way to follow up and said, but what if they didn't? Uh, and also gives us, a, again, a bit of a happy ending, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Daniel, I mean, like, th- did this work as a, a romance for you? Um, it does, and I like the that it explores... Um, and, and, and many films do it, but I, I do think this does it in some ways that are kind of unique, the ebbs and flows of love, the fact that love will, you know, may subside ultimately, but as hard as you try to maybe forget about it or distance yourself from it, um, harken back to, uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, uh, Dalton's recommendation from earlier, it, it persists in some way. It's always that nagging idea, whether or not you can do anything with that other than just meditate on it. I don't know, but um, I, I think it does it appropriately. I will say a missed opportunity um, is I don't think Trinity was explored quite enough. She does still feel, even though her positioning narratively makes her significantly more important when she does ultimately share the the, the, the powers of love um, that allows her to actually in some ways be a little bit more powerful and more confident uh, than Neo himself. I still feel like there are instances where she kind of it may be purposefully, but it just didn't maybe didn't entirely work for me is that she's more of an automaton sometimes or more of this, like just kind of a plot device. And I, I wish there was more to that because, uh, a, I, I always want to see more of Carrie Ann Fisher, but, um, B, I, I think that character had a lot more 
depth, then I think we maybe lingered on Neo a little too much at the, you know, at the uh, expense of Trinity. One thing I, I was thinking about it, this film, in a way, the love story that permeates the matrix, it, it almost does in some ways kind of remind me of like, uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to say it anyway. R- Richard Linklater's uh, before trilogy mm-hmm. a little bit, kind of the way love wanes and how, you know, proximity sometimes makes it a little, you know, mean a little bit less, but the distance, that's what, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of a spark there. There's some kind of catalyst for something stronger. Well, in in so many big movies, the love story is an afterthought, right? It is. And I mean, especially if you look at action movies from the eighties and nineties, like there's always a a love interest, but it is just like, well, we have to have two people kiss at the end of the movie. Right. And in the matrix, like it, it does, even if it's sort of underdeveloped as a relationship, like, like you said, it, it is, it is no before trilogy, but they make gestures towards that exactly. sort of, yeah, it, that's what I mean. It, and the love's important to the story. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it takes priority. It takes a very important priority, yeah. which exactly Dalton, I, th- I couldn't put it better. It, it, it's something that just feels like an afterthought. I, I, I just heard this observation on uh, another podcast today, but, um, the, there's, um, that moment in the, the first movie where, you know, he's meeting the Oracle and this is this big meeting of whether or not he's, he's the chosen one. And he gets totally derailed by finding out somebody has a crush on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can Absolutely. see why she likes you. Huh? A girl likes me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Screw the matrix. I just met. I only know like two. Yeah. Well, and what's ironic is even though it's not at the forefront of that first film, again, as we talked about in that trilogy retrospective, Neo is only able to liberate people from the matrix because not because he loves humans, but because he loves Trinity specifically really putting that, that relationship really at the the center of the entire series. Uh, And this feels like a really nice follow up to it. I mean, Dalton, did you have any other thoughts on uh, the way they portray the romance in this film? No, I, I think Daniel spoke to it really well. Those those sort of moments of lingering looks at each other and the handshake that goes on for a beat too long. Uh, I, I think, no, I mean, uh, other than to say I think it's great that her husband's played by Keona Reeves' former stunt double, Chad Stahelski, like, yes. uh, that's that's about all I have to add. Which is great, by the way. What a cameo. <laughs> Such a good cameo. What a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> and he's named Chad in the movie, too, by so, the way. So oh, good. The meta. Yeah, yeah man, Absolutely. Well, uh, I, w- I do want to turn it over here and just, I have to ask the question, were you guys satisfied with Trinity's development of the one powers? Uh, do you think this adds a lot of value to her character or the series as a whole? Because the original trilogy put such an emphasis on the one, whereas I think this film is, I don't know, by the end of the trilogy, they're a little more dismissive about it. This film in particular revisiting that idea they're yeah. like yeah no this was never it was a part of a program yeah. new matrix new rules mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah should have done what like what i wanted star wars to do was like no you're not a skywalker you're not a palpatine you're nothing but that doesn't fucking matter because we're in a crazy fantasy world anyway and you know anyone can be powerful and anyone can mean something if they believe it hard enough and i think this film actually kind of does that properly it just doesn't explore trinity enough um in that sense like it didn't i, I liked the payoff it just wasn't fully there. I feel like the moment that's revealed, I did have a, Oh, you know, moment like that's cool. You know, like that's cool that that the reversal of that, but I agree with you. Um, even though I got that initial reaction from it, I do think it could have had more impact if her, if her character's backstory in this, in the context of this one, in this movie had been more explored. Cause I do agree that every time she's on camera, it's always, in service of Neo, like Neo is there and then Trinity arrives and then they have a conversation. We don't see her at, you know, divorced of him 
doing anything, you know, so just riding her bike for like just yeah. 15 seconds, right. maybe. working on bikes uh, and riding bikes. It's all we really get. Yeah. yeah. Well, versus the original matrix film where you see Neo's process of waking up is 45 minutes of screen, 30 to 45 minutes of screen time before he's fully awake, probably somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and that's all dedicated to him largely. So no, I think that's a great point. Um, I think it's kind of neat. They, I think they justified enough, but to your, I, I would have loved to have seen her really processing this because we get a really awesome scene where they jump off the building and she's the one who's able to fly. That's incredible. But there's a, it, it really, then the movie just wraps up really quickly. You know, there's not really a lot of time for her, like having this, like what did the awakening really mean to her? To her in, in mm-hmm. that moment, in the context of that. And I do, and I will say one more thing just about the love story component. I do think that it works really well because it's not just like, um, it's not for, it, it actually motivates the story. You know, it's actually something that, you know, advances the story. And, and also it's, it's important to the universe of the matrix that the two of their union comes to get, that it comes together. And so it, it exists beyond like, we're happy for them that they're in love, but also without it, this universe doesn't really work and the future of the matrix can't really work. You know, the way that it does in the end, when we realize now that they've reached this space, they have power to influence what happens next, you know, because of that union. But anyway. I, I think that it'll take us right into a little, just a little more spoilerific uh, discussion about the action visuals to be or not to be. So here's the million dollar question. This movie doesn't care about the action sequences. That's part of, I think, I think that's supposed to be part of the sort of riffing, yeah. you know, like, I mean, they literally, the bullet time, is is the part of the, the one of the theses of this movie and that, the big bullet time set piece is a conversation, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of fun. Oh, I love it! I think yeah. it's fantastic. Um, but the, the the thing is, it the movie this movie does lack, I think, the, the the intensity and action of the previous films. Personally, I don't necessarily think it needed more action. I just think it needed better action. Like it yeah. with the, the amount of time they allotted, I, I'm totally cool with this movie being. 85% people in rooms talking about big ideas and stuff. I'm all about that. I'm okay. But the scenes that were there largely just felt really underbaked and rushed. And it, it was missing that secret sauce. It's missing that 600 page storyboard comic book screenplay, right? Like it's, it, it is missing this, this very clear and concise visualization of what all the action is going to look like. It, it does unfortunately look a little too pre-visualized uh, sometimes. And, and, and again, like the, the moments that are not CGI, it looks like we just, there was not the time or resources put into uh, making real human beings dance, basically. Yeah, and, and there's just like even the editing and shooting style. Like there's scenes where it, like the, uh, the shootout in the the office in the middle of the movie, Morpheus is doing crazy flips and stuff, but where the camera is and how they edit it, you can't see any of it. And it's just like, again, I think that maybe that was an intentional choice to be a little more subversive, but it was one of the things I was like, ah, man, I just, I felt like it was missing something. It is still wanted it, you know? Yeah, I, that's my, maybe my favorite action set piece in the movie though, is the, I like that the, our POV character in that scene is not doing anything cool. <laughs> He's literally running away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I just want to turn to you guys though. Uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. I mean, lack of action seems to be consistent around the table. We're a little disappointed. I mean, what do you think the lack of quality action scenes is intentional and does it work? Um, it's, it's probably, well, no, I want to say it's intentional, but there's the action scenes are still there is the thing. It's like, it's not Why like have the, them if you're not going exactly, to uh, do if them you well, make a stronger commentary. And I, and I'm not talking about the, the, the bullet time, um, uh, sequence that you're discussing with the analyst. It's that's good, but that's different. 
that's 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 saying something entirely different. They still have the traditional action sequences. In fact, they bring back the Merovingian just to to have one. Um, and and it's weird because a I again kind of hype myself up with like a lot of recent films um, that are you know that were inspired by the Matrix. So the bar gets higher with Inception with. John Wick with nobody or uh, nobody, yeah, the the Bob Odenkirk film. But uh, I felt like there those did so many different things to to kind of show what we can do with with the precedent that Matrix set, and then for Matrix Four to not do much with that at all, and to kind of tease like it has a train sequence, and I'm like, wow, what if this went really crazy? And then like even in the the promotional material, they allude to the like you know running it kind of like all inception or Satoshi Kon's paprika running into a building and being, you know, gravity is suddenly not gravity for a second. And, um, it like, it alludes to those and you have them for a moment. Like you see, uh, I believe it's an agent at one moment, like stepping through a door and he's suddenly, you know, on the wall instead. And that's kind of cool, but they don't, to do anything with it. And even that shot, which looks really cool in the trailer, I noticed it's, it's slow, not, it's slowed down in the trailer. When you see it in the movie, it, it's over like that. Yeah. And it's not, it, yeah, it just, it feels like it, it makes me, Laurent was saying, I'm like, why even, why is this even here? Um, if you want to say something different or want to, to criticize the action, um, you know, again, the present that the original film started, maybe, maybe, maybe do that a little bit harder. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm all for questioning the utility of violence, but let's do something if we're going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where it, I think where it, it falls. I just, I, I guess I was wanting this film to, again, I don't, it's unfair to like expect it to innovate like the original matrix did. I, I, I don't think any film will quite do that, unfortunately, because that's because it's the matrix. It's, it's going to have that probably eternally, but you know, I, I don't know. It's still a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. My favorite one was sequence, and I, again, I wouldn't even say it was like the best shot, but the one I probably had the most fun with was the chase at the end through the city where uh, they had all the the random bots. Just I will say, jumping yeah. out of buildings, like raining down. That, that was pretty cool. I actually liked that. <laughs> um, again, yeah, it's it was incredibly like the visual of that Neo and Trinity ramping off a car that Neo just crushed with his mind. Like, cool. All yeah. right, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Laurent, what, what would your take here? I mean, do you think that the lesser action sequences benefits this film in any way, or is it really a down a pitfall for me? It was a bug. I think that, um, that's the only thing I kept wanting the entire time. I was like, you know, I really like everything that's happening around this, but I'm really missing the choreography, the act. Cause it is something that, again, it is something that is a large part of the appeal of the matrix, you know? And, um, and like you said, I didn't need tons of action, I just needed really nice, slick, choreographed action sequences when we had them. And it just felt like they didn't care much about those sequences or didn't, again, have the resources or what have you. Um, Because part of it is that visual ballet, the mastery of that is part of The Matrix. And that was just surprisingly just devoid in it. And that's a strange thing to omit from something that kind of created it. You know, like so, but yeah. Yeah. Dalton, I'll give you the last word. I don't really have much to add. Uh, I think the addition of Matrix zombies is, is maybe a big problem here, right? Like so much of our big action set pieces is is a mobs running at our intrepid heroes, and that's sort of hard to do something with. Uh, you know, as, as cool as the image of people with code for eyes is, like 
that's you know it's, there's not really much there and it's kind of as matrix reloaded shows us it is hard to have one person fight a hundred people and for the choreography to keep up so um but yeah I, I think you both made really excellent points about sort of this this is not a feature this is a bug unfortunately yeah when i even think back we had a lengthy discussion about the burly brawl uh, in our trilogy retrospective that's even that is a it didn't 100 percent succeed uh, especially when you get into like the CG parts of that fight, but that's a, they were actually going for something there. Damn it, yeah. They tried. They oh tried, yeah. And it, yeah. And, um, whereas this film, it just, it really didn't feel like they were interested at all. And I, I would say it's a, a bug, uh, feature, a bug. It's, it's a bug. It's a weakness. Last thing, this is a random thing. You mentioned the Merovingian fight. Guys, I'm sorry. I was a little heartbroken about the use of the Merovingian in this film. I was real. I, I, it's my fault. I hyped myself up. Yeah. We should have yeah, had no, him. I, I, yeah. I should have seen that coming. But uh, uh, he showed up and spouts nonsense. Uh, you know, I, I I assume my take after watching it twice and really, you know, sleeping on it was that this was their way of saying, oh, this is what you wanted in the sequel. But that's stupid. And so let's just get it out of the way and move on. Because he's literally shouting spinoffs and reboots and you yeah. took everything from me. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre, bizarre choice. It, it is one of the most baffling choices to me. That, that And it's a bizarre time when it happens. Like there's this action sequence going on. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I want to watch this. And it's just a strange thing yes. to have in the same moment. Those should have been separate. If you're going to have this character and then have him be this weird wonky thing and have it be its own thing. Yeah. They go into a room and they talk to him or something, you know, and then it'd it still re- be. It, it reminds me of the conclusion of Glass where Samuel L. Jackson is literally yeah. just like rambling on the sidelines as these two guys fight separately. Yeah. It's very similar. To build off of uh, LaRod's point a little bit, like I was already, I'm already was kind of against Smith existing in this film. So then, and I was already kind of thinking, I'm like, well, if this is his, I guess, undesirable as it gets that's okay and then all of a sudden he's like i brought back more of unnecessary like you know choices and i'm okay what yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, well anyway i i would have that's one of those where i'm like just let's trim it out it didn't need it 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 did i don't feel like it It didn't add anything 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 meaningful yeah uh okay so last uh main topic here I would say is, is this film too ambitious? Uh, I mean, we could spend a lot more time talking about the world building uh, because we haven't even really talked about too much of the world building. Hey, this society advanced beyond what we saw last time. We have new technology. We see man and machines fist bumping each other, uh, (laughs) which by the way, so I was with someone, uh, one of the people I saw with absolutely hated that. They absolutely hated that. I thought it was kind of cute personally. Oh, that, that is a moment designed to make people mad. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're either going to think it's cute or going to be really annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my thing is, uh, just in terms of how this film, do you guys think this adds anything meaningful to the larger mythology? There's a ton of ideas here. Do any of them stick in a way that really works for you? I could have done with more of the real world. I'm, I, you know, as much as I know that the real world stuff has been maligned, even in the original trilogy, like I was pretty curious about what's going on in IO. Like what's, what's going on with these, these humans and machines, like yeah. trying to rebuild society together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's, what's going on with the machines? Yeah, what's their motivating factors for while this is happening? Yeah. yeah. So Dalton, they prefer sentience. Uh, you're <laughs> absolutely right. <I'm> so <laughs> no, you're so, you're so correct. I did love the idea of the robot civil war. That's see, that's that the, was kind of cool. That's, that's the, the animatrix I want to see right yeah. there. Yeah, no, like they just kind of allude to yeah, the, the third Renaissance. What, please, what was yeah, that please. Mothra robot about that could do everything but didn't talk? <sighs> I, I like, the stingray one. Yeah, yeah huh. like the most Come important. Come on, the, I mean the the ex machina of the or the Deus ex machina of the the film. But like I, I yeah, I really was interested in that and Sabebe. 
which I'm going to just keep saying like, like, I don't know. That just like rattled in my brain after that character was introduced. When Sabebe and Neo do their little, their little nuzzle. Oh, come on. Eskimo kiss. Too cute. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's just so much random stuff, like the small details that are cool. Like they, they have this mention of the, the DSI mapping. They changed what Neo looked like to everyone else. And I was like, well, that's a cool thing. I wonder if they're going to do anything with that. They did. I mean, they didn't, we, we see that Trinity had a similar. Yeah. They're just like, that's why we couldn't find Neo and Trinity. Yeah. They look different. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> no, was, yeah. oh, there okay. was a lot of a few moments of film where I was like, wait a minute, wait, can we, uh, I want to, I want more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, nope, we gotta go. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, that, that would be the, the largest justification for a new Animatrix series. I am, uh, it's just, there's so many things I was interested in. Uh, Laurent, I mean, how about you? Were you intrigued by any of this addition to the mythology? Yeah, I think that if they had set out to just make the same formula, like let's just make one of the other matrix exactly the same, but just with the, then I just think that we would have, we would have really hated it, you know? And I think that that's, what's refreshing about this one is that they, they added new ideas. Some of them work, some of them don't, but at least they, again, they carved out a space where, you know, Hey, we've trimmed enough of the fat explained away why all this is over. And this is the new world. Um, so in the event that something, somebody wants to come in and add some stuff there, the, the canvas is not as crowded now for for those ideas to be explored in different directions, however they want to, if they even decide. Other thing, mythology. I want to stop and make sure we mention this. The analyst, questionable casting. I understand. I don't necessarily align, but I hear you. He feels sometimes like he's a different movie with Neil Patrick Harris. I do love the idea of this. The, the the successor to the architect mm. is a person who learns to study human behavior it, and, and he uses e- that against them. It's the evil synthesis of the Oracle and the architect. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. the whole, the Oracle was literally designed to do what he's doing in this movie. He just uses it against humans. Yeah. You know, instead of helping. It's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Well, do you guys think this bit off more than it can chew? Just the final word. We can, we can do this one really quickly. Dalton. No, yes. There's no question. <laughs> yes. It bit off enough. It just didn't chew at all. Well yeah, said. Well yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely, if if we are getting anything Merovingian related, we are. We have waited far too into Deadpool territory, and I that I, I don't need any more bitten off. Please. I want more of him, just not this way. It was it didn't no, work. I don't give me an animatrix series. I want to see werewolves and vampires. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> he looks yeah, he looks like Robin Williams and Jumanji. The way he was like that's that's all I saw. It took me a minute until I. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like it took me a minute to realize. Like it wasn't in the moment that I realized that's who it was. It, I was me like, neither. I went back and looked. I was like, oh, that's homeboy. Okay, I, cool. I, I didn't like that. I thought that was supposed <laughs> to be the train guy from the third one. And the, <laughs> no, it was his boss. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, and I want to be clear. It did not work in this movie, and if, if mishandled, it would probably not work 90% of the time. I just really liked him in the Reloaded. That's that's all. Yeah, he was great. Guys. He was great. In, uh, yeah, he's great in those. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, no, I, uh, I'd, I'd agree. A lot of ideas. It makes me want more Matrix content, and by that I mean it could be a video game, it could be an anime series, but I really, seriously, seriously, I don't want another movie. Yeah. I, I, don't. I don't think we need it. I don't think we need it. Anything additional, especially if it's not coming from the Wachowskis, only risks making everything that's come up to this point worse. So um, as ambitious it might be, I think this is for the best that we settle here. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's close out by ranking the series. Why not? Right. Let's like what order and what order do we rank these films altogether? 
Let's put a pin in our feelings on the Matrix right here, right now. And Daniel, I'm putting the pressure on you. Oh, You're going to start us out. <laughs> um, I mean, the first Matrix is a landmark of cinema, so it it gets the the, the first nod. I, and I will say, Dalton did an excellent job in, during our trilogy discussion of um, making me reconsider. Um, less so reloaded, but more so. Um, revelations, revolutions, revolutions, revolutions. They made me uh, reconsider revolutions. And so it appreciated slightly, not enough to not make it my number four slot from the top. What's number one? Okay. Number one matrix, uh, number, number two and three, like they're even to me. I, I think resurrection is so second place tie. Yeah. And then, um, and then revelations number four. Okay. Mm -hmm. All revolutions. Right. I think that's a fair rating. Dalton Stewart. Number one. The Matrix, obviously. I mean, come on. Uh, after that, probably the first hour of the Matrix Resurrections, <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the Animatrix. Oh, and oh yeah, yeah. No, the I forgot that was an option. Then Revolutions, then Reloaded, then the rest of Resurrections. Let's go with that. I know I don't. Resurrections dumb. Part One, Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, uh, you know, the sequels, the first two sequels, really only work as a joint package. Um, and, and so I think Resurrections edges them out just by virtue of being a contained movie that that does work really well as, as its own thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Reloaded's got a lot of great action. Revolutions has a lot of great emotional stakes. So I, I, I think um, th there's a lot to love in both of those sequels. And I, Revolutions and Reloaded, um, you know, ask me tomorrow, I, I'll switch which one I like better. So it's, it's, I, I, it's always kind of up in the air for me. Uh, Resurrections definitely is as good as the best stuff in the other sequels. So it's sort of like a three-way tie. You're saying- Yeah, you're that's like, kind oh, of where I'm landed. Yeah. Three-way tie for second is the other sequels. Okay. That's sort of where I've landed, yeah. Because <laughs> every time I make my list, I end up changing. I mean, no, that's a, that's a good point because these films, there's so much complexity to them and they're, and they're con confronting so many different ideas that at different points in your life, it's going to stick out to you a little differently, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Laron Chapman, yes, you are sir. up to the challenge here. You're going to clear this up. How, how are you going to rate these? I just love how he just compared, well, he, how you made them a package. I was like, it, it's very Kill Bill of you, you know, like, just like, they're the same. They're one movie, but I prefer volume two, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like so, um, and that's a good way of looking at it. Because in many ways, I think like, yeah, the second one might have better action and then, the, then but I feel like I'm more emotionally involved in the, in so, but for me, um, it's one, two, four, then three. You know, but that being said, I could be persuaded with four and three based on certain elements. It's just about which thing are you drawn to the most. I'm more, I'm a writer, so I'm more drawn to story. So four resonates with me more, but I definitely prefer the action. And I mean, I definitely wanted the action from the other films. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, Laron Chapman, I'm just, you and I are, are like-minded here. I, yeah, number one is unquestionably, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the great films. I think we're going to be looking at back at studying for, for decades to come. I, I like number two. I, I still, the, just the, the action combined with the big ideas. I, I just am never going to forget after you see the, the, the burly brawl, then you go to the Chateau fight, then you go to the highway chase sequence, and then you go straight into uh, the architect scene. Like all of these things kind of flow right into each other. It's a tight, it's a tight package. And whenever you get in there, they're like, what if 
everything you've been told up to this point was a lie. Irrevocably. <laughs> Concordantly. <laughs> um, so I'm a sucker for that. And But I would say I would put Resurrections uh, over Revolutions probably. There's a... Revolutions was missing, also missing a lot of things I liked. We spent actually a fairly minimal amount of time with Neo and Trinity uh, in the second act. Most notably, they were pretty absent from the film, the middle uh, portion of that film. And uh, overall, I just, real world stuff wasn't quite as compelling to me. Um, And I think that Resurrections gets a, a, you know, really just with the big swings is taking the first hour in particular, Dalton, I'm with you, really just is fantastic uh, and ambiguous and ambitious. It's great. I love it. So that puts it. Uh, so my number order is one, two, four, three. We did it. Good job, guys. We made it. We, we got through this film. We rated uh, the matrix. We have put all of our matrix opinions out on the internet for people to, to hear. Is there any other thoughts? Last word, anything else we missed that you want to mention uh, related to the matrix resurrections today? So there's a moment where I believe it is it. It's either Naomi or I think it might be, Bugs is that the yeah that's the Jessica Henwood Bugs. character yes she um Eric's uh, Neo is is questioning if he ever did anything of relevance mm. you know, after all of that and it all meant something I think is the line. and I think it's really easy um for us and I'm sitting at uh at a table with people who have done a lot of really really cool things um. But um, I will say sometimes it's easy, despite all those things we do, to not feel like we've done anything really or, or have done yeah. anything at all. And and sometimes it does take somebody to tell us you did something and it's relevant and it means something, even if we, you know, can't see it. And and I think to have at least that moment, that was a very poignant yeah. moment to me. I, I'm also um, still um, coming down from my high of uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, a very a very good documentary about someone who did a lot of work for something that just didn't ever happen. But that doesn't mean it was worthless. Like it still means something, um, and and still it's still relevant and still important. And so I don't know. I, I I will say that is if you feel if you're creatives especially and and you're working on something and you don't feel like you're doing enough, take a step back. You are enough. Mm. Great way to put a pin on. That was perfect. The only thing I'd add is, you know, you do amazing things. The world still goes on. That doesn't mean it didn't matter. That doesn't mean it didn't mean anything. But the world still goes on. Wow, guys. Well, uh, with all that said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning in to our review of The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, gentlemen, it has been such a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation for several months, uh, and uh, so I'm glad we were able to sit down and just talk about this new Matrix film. Um, go around the table just to let listeners know where they can keep up with you and your work at online. LeRon Chapman, I'll start with you. Uh, you can follow me uh, at my on Facebook under my name, LeRon Chapman, or you can follow me on Instagram at Black Movie Magic OKC. Excellent. Daniel Bowkipper? Ooh, you can find me at my Twitter handled at Daniel Bowkamper, I think. Um, you can find me at the Cinematropolis, uh, first and foremost, as of now. Look out. I did uh, write an essay on the the uh, the uh, pitfalls of optimism and of hope um, on Nightmare Alley. Um, A great but, film that no one saw because no. Spider-Man. Yes. But please do. If you like nefarious um, mental health professionals uh, that are featured in this film, um, you, you might like Nightmare Alley as well. Um, but uh, yeah, check out our discussion on this. Keep an eye out for an essay about the Matrix Resurrections that will be about something. 
about this film. And um, yeah, uh, World Literature Today as well, switching to six issues in uh, 2022. So I might write about more books as a, a result. But uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Awesome. And uh, Dalton Stewart, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me over at the Good Trash Genre Cast every single week. Uh, September will be our 10th anniversary. I can't even believe it. Um, but uh, yeah, Stitcher and um, Apple Podcasts, it's the Good Trash Genre Cast releasing weekly. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. Uh, a long time ago when we did another show uh, called The People's History of Film, Lauren Chapman and I had a really great conversation. If you want to go check that out, that's also still out there. Um, if you want to follow me and see my Matrix tweets, that's at doll underscore stew <laughs> if you want to follow me personally. Uh, well, Dalton, I, I, you're probably going to hear this from me again on the air, but uh, 10 years of podcasting. Congratulations. That is a hell of an Jesus. achievement. How many episodes in that dang podcast are there? What? Uh, for over 400. Jesus. Um, are, um, uh. <laughs> we're, I think we're creeping up on 450. And that's the main yeah. podcast. There were other spinoff shows. That's right. Like People's yeah, History of Film so like, that were in there. Um, so congratulations. Thank you I'll so say it much. again because that's, I read a statistic not too long ago, like Spoiler. most podcasts don't make it past like their fourth episode. They just, they, they start it. That can't be right. Is that yeah. right? Because it turns out consistency and perseverance and commitment require all those things to make a successful podcast that airs weekly or even bi-weekly or even who, monthly. Who would know? Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and of course, if you guys want to catch my uh, movie opinions, you can find me on Twitter at cmasterstalk. That's letter C Masters Talk, uh, or right on over at thecinematropolis.com, which you can also follow on social media on Twitter at the Cinematropolis or at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you do subscribe to the podcast, you can probably keep your ears peeled for some short bonus episodes that'll come out over the next couple of weeks. There's been a bunch of awesome movies that are hitting Netflix or theaters like Licorice Pizza or Don't Look Up that uh, I certainly have thoughts on uh, that. I hope you'll check those out as well. Um, and from all of us to you out there, safely catch a movie and however way you feel safe, spend time with family and have a happy holiday season. We'll catch you again next time. <laughs>